0: You're killing me, Smalls.
1: Hey, guys, Colleen Wolf from NFL Network. And look, you may or may not know I'm from Philly. I'm ride or die of Philadelphia, but especially when it comes to sports. So you guys need to check out Mike Small on the Killing Me Smalls podcast. This guy crushes it, and I can't wait to hear what he has to say next.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Killing Me Smalls podcast. I'm your host Mike Small, and today's a special day for us as we've got a very, very big-time guest. If you like football, then you know Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network. Whenever there's a big story to be broken, Ian is right in the middle of it. And the Antonio Brown story last week was no exception. I'm really interested to talk to Ian about this because he spent a lot of time covering Bill Belichick as a beat reporter in New England. Before he ascended to the NFL network. And I really think there might be a conspiracy theory here. I don't see how you can sign a deal in an hour after you got released. There's uh, something that doesn't smell right, and there's a lot to unpack here. I'm also interested to talk to Ian about the rest of the NFL and particularly your Philadelphia Eagles. So without further ado, let's bring Ian onto the pod. All right, let's bring Ian on to the podcast. Ian is a national insider for the NFL Network. He's the host of the Rap Sheet and Friends podcast, which is an awesome podcast, by the way. Ian, I loved it this week. You brought your boss, John Marvel, in talking about his son making his Major League debut at the Pirates, which was which was really cool. And um, you also get to hear Mike Garofalo's, uh <laughs> kids pop in there once in a while, which is kind of cool. But
1: Yeah, you, you get to hear Carmen a little bit. You get to hear my kids every once in a while. We We...
0: We spread the love around pretty good. How old are your kids? Uh, I got a four and a half year old and a six year old. Ah, that plus traveling. That's why uh, you probably don't sleep a whole lot.
1: Well, one nice thing about my world is that I actually like once the season starts and you know we're in it now, I really like never travel. You know, like I go to, um, <laughs> excuse me, I'll be in Miami in a couple of weeks for an NFL league meeting. I go to Dallas for a league meeting. Um, but that's really, it, you know, like it I'm I'm from my basement live all day long. Um but yeah, I mean mostly I get to be home, which is really just incredible.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I didn't realize your studio was in the basement.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, and you know, think about it, I work until like seven thirty or eight every night. Life would be very hard.
0: Um, you know, if this was if it was a different way. Uh, so this is very good. That's really cool. Well, man, let's get right into it. You were all over the Antonio Brown story. Um, I saw your tweets all weekend long. You were, I think you were one of the first to to break that he was released. Um, mm-hmm. This is one of the craziest stories I've ever seen. And the fact that you covered the Patriots for a while, my conspiracy theory antenna is up. Do you think this thing was pre-planned? I mean, what's your gut tell you?
1: I really don't. Um, And I know that's sort of the conspiracy theory theory out there, but it's hard for me to imagine that a player would give up $30 million guaranteed for the thought of playing somewhere else. And even if you know, like, you know, let's let's just take it a step further. Let's say he thought there was a really good chance that he would sign with the Patriots. First of all, do you think the Patriots would enter into an agreement with someone who is on another team? I mean, they've been, you know, they've been penalized for various things along the way hard for me to imagine the Patriots doing that so even if Antonio Brown knew it was just a you know a a strong chance he would sign in New England is he really going to sign on and say yes I'm going to play for 10 million this year um and I'm going to give up 30 million guaranteed but I feel good about like it's hard for me to imagine someone would say I'm putting 20 million dollars at risk um just just so I can get out of here I just I understand the the thought but I don't see it.
0: Yeah, but it's kind of, you know, we're in the Philadelphia area here and we saw Drew Rosenhaus pull this out of his playbook before with Terrell Owens and it almost looks similar, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it it looks somewhat similar, um but that was, you know, that that was a real sort of, I mean, he he basically put a stop to that uh trade from from what I remember. This is more of a player just acting out and getting a team to say, you know what, it's too much. We're just going to release them. Like, I don't think this was any sort of official capacity. This was more like Instagram and videos and screaming at the general manager. And like, we can all think that it was pre-planned and and coordinated, but just having gone through it and covered it minute by minute, I can't believe
0: anything that happened over the past two weeks was pre-planned by Antonio Brown. I just, I, I just, I really don't see it. So, so take us inside here. So Antonio Brown gets released. I'm sure there's, you know, 6, 10, 12 teams calling Drew Rosenhouse. And so what is that conversation like? Is it like, hey, how much cap room do you have? We'll take that. What what do you think that sounds like? Because it was like an hour, and then the guy was signed. Well,
1: it was actually more than that. So because of new league rules this year, um, players – like. Yeah, a guy's not on the uh, officially on the wire until 4 p.m., but if a team announces that he's going to be released, his agent is allowed to talk to people. So that was different this year. So Rosenhaus could actually get a, a sort of leap up on everyone else by talking to the Patriots. Now, as far as what those conversations were like, um, the Patriots won Antonio Brown last year. The right. Steelers would not deal with them. So he already, I'm sure, has thought about it. He already has gone through the different things. I don't know if he talked to Bill Belichick before, I doubt it, but everyone knows what the Patriots are like. So I would imagine for Rosenhaus now, it was simply a matter of like, all right, what's the most I can get? Make your best offer. And then it's like, okay, well, the Patriots are in the ballpark, then we're just going to do that.
0: Well, I've got to think uh, it's a perfect fit for Antonio Brown. I mean, in order to clean up his reputation after this mess, going to the Patriots is perfect right. for him. Because
1: well but 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 know. either way it's gonna be either clean up his reputation and he's fine or that's it. Because if, if it doesn't last in New England, then you say like where where could he play? Like that's the that's yeah, the no one will to touch me. him if
0: that happens again. I would right. assume.
1: Or at least no one's gonna pay him real money, which you know, as he as he sent a message to me the other day, he said, you know, no guarantee, no way. That's you know, he wants his guaranteed money. If it doesn't work with the Patriots, who's going to be willing to give them that? I don't
0: see anyone. Yeah. Now I saw you, you report that, that uh, Antonio Brown texted you. That's pretty amazing Mm -hmm. that you have these types of relationships. How do you develop a relationship like that with a guy like Antonio Brown, where he's going to give you a heads up, you know, something to report. I mean, I'm sure it's, it's premeditated on his part because he knows when you, when he tells you, you've got 2 million Twitter followers that are going to hear it, that he wants out there. But uh, you've developed some pretty incredible relationships, and you know, being able to 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 break stories like this is insane. How how do you develop those relationships?
1: Well, I appreciate that, and I think you know, with Antonio Brown, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I mean, one one thing that has changed for me is you know, like let's say, like I went, you know, I was covering Mississippi State, I was covering Alabama, big big deals in the market, but nationally, not a big deal, obviously um then i'm covering the patriots for the second paper the boston herald even though i thought we were much better than the globe still the second paper <laughs> i'm gonna go to the NFL network and i have all these twitter followers and it does become easy to like build relationships with people in, in some ways because they know if they say something to you there's a pretty large megaphone and i think that um you know that that really does make it different um you know as far as the relationships it's I always liken it to, you know, meeting a girl in a bar and which, you know, I'm married and very happily, so I don't want really to do that anymore. But, um, you know, it's basically like you you go up, you introduce yourself, you say hi, you kind of build a rapport, chit chat. Then it's like, hey, can I get the number? And then it's like, hey, if I need you, can I call you? Or can you talk? And then you, you know, send texts here and there. And then when you sort of really need them, then you take the leap. Um, and you say like, is this true? You know, I have this news. Is this true? And, and basically it just goes on from there. So I have, you know, probably a hundred people I talk to on a, you know, let's say daily or weekly basis who have information and maybe willing to give them information. And some, you, you report what they face, say, some, you don't, some, they ask you what's going on. That's another thing is teams or, or agents or players will say, Hey, well, like what do you hear really is going on here? that's another thing um, but it's it's a really slow exhaustive process that I think has really paid dividends over the last eight years or so
0: oh absolutely and and you know when you think about who are the you know who are the guys that you trust you know there's two or three guys and you're you know I, I don't know if you need me to name them but um, because two of them are your competitors but I would say you know you're you're one of the top two or three guys in terms of breaking stories uh quickly so over your career, what's the biggest story you ever broke?
1: Uh, I, I think for me, the biggest story was uh, Lovey Smith getting fired by the Bears. You know, which is, first of all, it's weird to say it's such a big story because it, you know, it was one of the worst things that happened to a, a really good man. Uh, for, you know, he's, he's a great guy. His, hey, him getting fired was a great thing for me, but it's really true, weirdly enough. Um, because at that point in my career, I was not yet our insider. They had formed me to LA to report on what we used to call Black Monday, which is the the day after the last day of the season, when all the coaches get, you know, fired or basically not kept or or whatever it is. And the network had told me, like, look, you know, we're looking for a new insider. We think you're our guy. We'd like you to break one story, one big, you know, coach getting fired. We haven't broken one in three years. And... You know, I I ended up breaking it, and it was a great thing for me, even though it was a bad thing for Bobby Smith, because it really told me like I can compete on this level. Uh, and so I think for me that was that was the biggest story. I mean, there have been other big ones that probably got retweeted more, um, but that was the biggest one as far as my career goes.
0: Well, it is thriving, and and I'll tell you what. One thing that's thriving right now, Ian, is the car market. And one of the coolest cars out there is the new Kia Ride. Have you seen that car?
1: Uh, I have not actually. I I do tend to drive Kias a lot, especially when I am on the road.
0: Um, but I have not seen that one. You know, it's funny. I was I was driving yesterday, and I was behind one, and I was like, "Oh, that's a an interesting looking Porsche Cayenne." And it kind of looked like the it was a it was a Telluride, and it looks like a giant Porsche Cayenne. So one of one of the things that we tell people, we you know, I've got a you talk about relationships. I've got a friend in the car business for over thirty five years. His name is Kobe Fryer. And people that uh, that want to connect with him, you know, he goes by the handle of "Get Fired Up," and you get fired up sometimes, right?
1: <laughs> uh, I do, as a matter of fact. Uh, by the way, just just so you know, the Kia that I usually drive is the Kia Soul.
0: Oh, very and nice. That is
1: that is that is my Kia choice on the on the road. But anyway, go kind ahead.
0: of a surfer car, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, Kobe Kobe's a guy that I've known for a long time. I've got a lot of faith in him. Uh, his phone number is 609-706-2101. You can get in touch with him through me on this podcast. Give him a call. They've got over 250 pre-owned cars and trucks in Matt Black, Kia, and Tom's River, Egg Harbor, and Glassboro. But if you have a credit situation, you just need a car, you've got to get a car for one of your kids. Even if you don't want a Kia and you you need a guy that you can trust, give Kobe a call and get fried up. So... Getting back oh, to the good podcast. Good stuff, right?
1: There you go. I like it. Good read.
0: Thank you. Uh, appreciate that. So, so let's let's get things a little bit more local here. So the Eagles looked good in the win against the Redskins. The positives were Carson Wentz looked like Carson Wentz pre-injury. He looked great, at least in the second half. The big concern around here is the defense. That did not look like a Super Bowl defense that was getting torched in the first half by 500 year old Vernon Davis and and a rookie and and Case Keenum. Do you think Eagle fans should be concerned about the defense or was it just game one?
1: I mean, I thought the defense in the second half looked pretty good. You
0: know?
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I'm 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 really not concerned about really anything with the Eagles. The only thing I was ever concerned about was would Carson Wentz come out and look like the Carson Wentz of old? And you know, it was a different offseason for him. He lost some weight started eating a little differently, kind of looks a little different coming up, you know, back to back years of season ending injuries. And so like, you never quite know, I mean, you really never know what a player is going to be anyway, come back from injury, but certainly Carson Wentz, I was like legitimately curious, what Wentz are we going to see? And he started off kind of slow. And then he really looked like, and they hit a couple deep shots, um, you know, really looked to me like he's kind of ready to roll. And so I don't, and that was, that was my only concern. I still think for the Eagles, you know, even though the Malik Jackson injury is a bad one season ending. Um, you know, I really do think defensively, they're going to be absolutely fine. I mean, the entire team, I mean, it's one of, just a stacked roster, uh, top to bottom.
0: I think you broke that Malik Jackson story, right?
1: I did. As a matter of fact, with my buddy, uh, with my buddy, Mike Arafolo. Uh, yeah, that's, and, you know, that's a tough one. I was a list Frank injury, basically like a mid foot spring. He's going to have surgery, uh, Next week, Monday, I believe. And, you know, hopefully he comes back and kind of ready to play for the Eagles.
0: Yeah, we're very familiar with the Liz Frank injury around here because half the Sixers have had it over the last few years. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Yes. So, you know what? Jadavian Clowney, were the, were the Eagles actually close to making that happen? He didn't go for much, and he certainly looks like a guy that could have helped. You know, of course, hindsight with the Malik Jackson in, injury, but was that ever close? I never got the sense that it was
1: close. I mean, yes, the Eagles talk. It. One thing about the Eagles and Howie Roseman is, and I'm sure this drives everybody crazy in that building, but they really are in the mix on a lot of trades. <laughs> you know, like they, they talk to everyone and everyone knows that Howie loves trade. So everybody calls him, and then he kind of considers it. And usually they don't work, but sometimes they do. Sometimes you get to Sean Jackson, you know, sometimes they do work. Um, but I, I never get the sense <coughs> that they're really close here. And, You know, they would have had to, the Texans would have had to eat a lot of money, which they were willing to eat some money, but not that much. Um, And the Eagles would have had to give up, you know, substantial draft pick return. I just don't, I just don't really think that it was something that was ever really going to happen. This is Ian Rappaport from NFL Network. You're killing me, Smalls. Stay tuned for more from Mike Smalls.
0: So what about replacing Malik Jackson? You know, you've got a team like the Dolphins that are basically out of it after week one. I'm sure a couple of other teams are going to be in that boat probably in about four or five weeks. You talked about Howie being aggressive. Do you think he makes a move for a defensive lineman? Do you think that's even on the radar at this point?
1: Uh, It's probably on the radar, yes. Now, I think one thing that teams do at this point, I mean, they basically use the next month or so to figure out, like, are the guys on our roster good enough? Or do I need to give up draft pick capital to go, you know, basically bolster what we do? We saw, I think we saw five trades last year, uh, right before the trade deadline, which is a ton. I mean, usually you don't see any because if you're going to give up a draft pick, I mean, it has got to be worth it. So we saw, um, you know, we saw the golden pay trade, obviously. And we, we saw a, a couple of them. Dante was, uh, was one, you know, we, we saw some trades. We saw some real trades, but you know, it's going to have to be worth it. And I think the main thing for the Eagles is can they withstand now without him, or are the guys on the roster basically not getting up? And that's,
0: you know, that's kind of the question uh, I think that they need to face over the next month or so. So Ian, turning back to the rest of the NFL, I look at a guy like Melvin Gordon and I know what Le'Veon Bell did last year and it somehow ended up working out well for him. doesn't feel like it's going to work out well for Melvin Gordon. I mean, the, the, Chargers are able to run the ball with Eckler and with Justin Jackson. I'm not sure anybody's dying for a running back right now, certainly not willing to pay a lot of money for it. Does it feel like this thing's not going to end well for him?
1: Uh, It feels like it's not going to end well this year. You know, I mean, I would say the same thing about Melvin Gordon as I do about Le'Veon Bell because, yes, Le'Veon Bell lost a lot of money. He lost $12 million. It's a ton of money. It was a failure. But what did not happen was, he wasn't injured in a dramatic way. You know, had he, you know, broken his leg in half or, you know, torn ACL and meniscus and MCL or something horrendous, then he would have had the $12 million, but he would not have gotten the big free agent contract. So I think what Melvin Gordon is basically trying to do is just kind of limit the injury risk. So instead of eight games, he probably ends up playing, instead of 16 games, probably ends up playing eight games or 10 games or something less. And that's really what it is. So, like, if he plays and is successful and doesn't suffer a serious injury, then there'll be some, There, you know, basically at that point, he'll sort of have won a little bit because he will get what he wants, which is to get to free agency healthy unless the Chargers franchise, in which case that probably changes the story.
0: It just seems historically... Uh, a negative thing to do not going through a training camp or taking the early hits i mean i know his body is going to be preserved but he's going right from working out on his own to taking hits in the nfl in six or seven more weeks it doesn't feel like a recipe for success
1: no it doesn't and history has shown that that it's not um you know history has shown that it's not so you know we'll see we'll, we'll see what ends up happening see how quickly he can kind of get himself back in i mean Zeke Elliott you know, held out entire camp, came back and looked not quite like himself, but okay. It's going to probably be a bigger week for Zeke this week, and you know, how, I mean, how much like game, how many game reps does Melvin Gordon need to look like himself? Because when he comes back, he's going to have to. So, um, certainly something we're watching going forward. The you
0: know, last thing I, I can't let you out of here without this. My daughter graduated from Alabama. My son's a sophomore there. We're big Alabama fans. I know that you were down there uh, covering the SEC and uh, and also especially in Tuscaloosa. Can mm-hmm. you give me a great Nick Saban story as well as a great Bill Belichick story that people wouldn't know?
1: Oh, boy. I I put you on the spot a little bit, but... I could do a good Nick Saban story. So um, it was... Um, so I was at SEC Media Days, and I believe it was... 2009 I think because it was my first year coming. basically I covered SEC media days and then I in like July then I went up and I started covering the Patriots for the Boston Herald so I see Saban and I'm like hey look I just want to let you know I'm leaving I'm going to cover the Patriots for the Boston Herald and you know it's it's been good getting to know you it was a challenge to cover you and I learned a lot and it was fun and I'm sure I pissed you off but just want to say thanks for everything <laughs> and and he's like, you know, thanks. It was, it was it was a challenge for me. It was good getting to know you and all that. And I say, fine. And then I said, I'm like, hey, listen, like I'm actually going up to cover Belichick and the Patriots. You know, if you, uh, you know, if if you want to call Bill and just kind of tell him I'm a pretty good guy, then that would actually really help me. You know, just so he knew kind of what he was getting. And he looks at me with an incredul- incredulous look. And he goes, You want me to call my best friend in the world and lie to him? <laughs> and he was uh he was just hysterical laughing. And he thought that was the funniest thing. And I was a couple of expletives in there as well. But um That's yeah, the excitement story. And it was you know, now when I see him it's 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 all good and um it's kind of funny, but yeah, that was that was my last interaction with him on the beat.
0: What about Belichick? You were there, you know. Obviously, through some of the success of this ridiculous twenty-plus year run, is there any one moment about it uh, that you had with Belichick? You know, I hear he's an amazing guy when he's away from football. Did you ever get that experience?
1: Uh, I did actually. You know, I I really liked covering him. I really did. Um You learned so. Much. I mean, I learned so much about the business of football. And one of the good things he does what is like, let's say you need him for like a story that's kind of sensitive or you just don't want to ask in front of other people. You can get him one-on-one and talk to him about it. So, I mean, I just, you know, to me, um, I really enjoyed the times, like after the press conference when, you know, I would just chat with him one-on-one about whatever I was working on. Um, you know, so it was, I mean, I I really liked covering him. Um, I always, you know, he'd never talk about injuries. But I would always enjoy kind of asking him in a funny way to get a different response from like, oh, yeah, we'll see the injury report. I guess. You know, it was, you know, the players were very clamped down. They rarely said much. Uh,
0: but him, I definitely enjoyed covering. But did Sabin call him and say you were a good guy?
1: I never specifically asked.
0: I, I may actually
1: ask after this. I kind of want to know.
0: Yeah, I'm dying to know. You got to let me know. All right, sounds good. (laughs) Ian, I can't thank you enough for being on the pod today. Uh, Hope we can get you on again. And, uh, you know, you do an amazing job. And I've really been a fan for a long time and love the NFL Network and uh, can't thank you enough for joining us. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Good luck with the podcast. And I'm sure we'll talk down the line. All right. Thanks a lot. Ian Rappaport, thank you for joining the Killing Me Smalls podcast. We'll be back next week.